Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. Um, just to let you guys know, with today's episode, we had a little bit of a glitch with the recording process, and there's a couple spots throughout the episode, not many, but a couple that we missed about five to ten seconds worth of dialogue. So we wanted just everyone to be aware of that up front. It's not something wrong with your system. It was a mistake on our part, and we apologize for it, and it will be corrected in the future moving forward. So without further ado, here's today's episode of Father and Joe. Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Six. And as you're listening to it, if you're listening to it the day that it initially released, this episode will be released on July 26th. And the reason we, we highlight that normally don't is that July 26th is actually the feast day of Mary's parents. Um, St. Joe come and St. Anne. They are saints, correct? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> See, the little basic things that I just assume, but um, actually it brings me to a secondary question I had about that is when I think about saints, they're all basically born after Jesus um, or one of the disciples is, is always my thought of when I think about saints. And I think that that's probably flawed, but as I think about it, you know, St. Paul seems like he was born, lived during the times of Jesus and so on and so forth. So I don't really have any thoughts of, of that. But nonetheless, we wanted to have this discussion today because obviously being Mary's parents, they are the grandparents of Jesus. And grandparents are obviously an important relationship that many of us have in our lives, but not one that I think we ever really drilled down before and had an apple actual episode about. So I wanted to give you the floor today, Father, to kind of set the table here and and correct me where I'm sure I'm already wrong and we're only 90 seconds in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, saints are those in heaven, simply said, and uh, some of those saints we celebrate as examples for us, and uh, even saints like John the Baptist, for example, who died before the death of Jesus, or St. Joseph who also died before the death of Jesus, um, are two obvious examples. But we also celebrate the Old Testament prophets. Uh, Even Adam and Eve uh, are considered saints uh, as they were raised from Jesus and the the harrowing of hell on Holy Saturday. Uh, So uh, Joachim and Anne, the parents of Mary, are also considered saints and are celebrated as such. We we only celebrate feast days for, for saints or uh, blessed, but uh, those who are recognized as being in heaven and worthy of our emulation. And so July 26th, traditionally the Feast of St. Anne, uh, her husband Joachim was added to that as part of the liturgical reforms after Vatican II to highlight his role. He had a different feast day, I believe, but anyway, to put them together and celebrate grandparents and celebrate a marriage um, were doing this podcast uh, also not long after, just a little a week week or so after the feast of St. Therese's parents, who are the first couple to be canonized in an official canonization process as, as, a, as saints, uh, as a married couple. Other, other husbands and wives have been canonized individually, but they were canonized actually together. As a, as a married couple. So it one of the things that it shows us is the emphasis in our time on marriage, first of all, and the, the goodness of marriage as a vocation of, to holiness. And so I think that's worth uh, acknowledging uh, to begin with the 
importance of marriage and that that is a real path to holiness. It's not sort of like the default vocation that uh, those who can't be priests and religious end up in or something like that, uh, which sometimes is in the popular mindset. But marriage is really a, a beautiful vocation and a challenging one and uh, one that unites the married couple with Jesus in the sacrament of marriage and uh, one that is lived out as a way of the cross. And there are some uh, uh, marriage rituals that include uh, holding a cross together during the saying of the vows, for example, an acknowledgement that you will be a cross for me and I will be a cross for you. Uh, in, uh, in marriage, when we talk about in good times and in bad, richer for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, uh, till death do us part, whatever the actual, I always forget which is which, the popular one and the actual Catholic one. But anyway, um, we're recognizing that marriage is, is difficult, uh, that it's a real way of love that is purified by times of difficulty and requires self-sacrifice. And so uh, so all of that is beautiful to recognize. Saints Joachim and Anne celebrated together as a married couple, not long after the parents of St. Therese on July 12th, who are also ser- celebrated as a married couple, uh, can take our attention, first of all. And then kind of the secondary point of uh, or another point of uh, them being grandparents. So they're the grandparents of Jesus. And in that way, we're recognizing not only his parents, not only his nuclear family, we might say, but he mentioned the, you know, sometimes uh, noted as the brothers of Jesus, but the word is the same as cousins of Jesus, who include probably some of his own disciples who were uh, likely the children of his father's brother, that is to say, Joseph's brother, Alphaeus. And so we have James and Judas and Joseph and uh, whichever, and uh, Mary is the wife of Alphaeus or the wife of Clopas. And so uh, the family of Jesus, the extended family of Jesus, also plays an important role. He didn't just drop down shrink-wrapped out of heaven as an adult on the way to the cross. Jesus grew up in a family with parents, Mary and Joseph, and with grandparents, Joachim and Anne, and maybe uh, also Joseph's uh, grandparents. We, uh, Heli or Jacob is the father of Joseph. We don't know anything about his uh, mother, or at least that's not uh, uh, such popular devotion. But in any event, Jesus grew up in a, in a family with the extended family, those different relationships. He grew up in a, in a village and people knew him and so all of those dimensions of our life are there in the life of Jesus. And then it gives us a chance to reflect a little bit on the role of, of grandparents. Uh, grandparents are, especially in our day, uh, often the ones who hold the faith. A lot of times parents have, uh, have lost the faith or become nominal in faith. It's been grandparents many times that have insisted on a baby being baptized. Uh, that's a, a slightly more extreme. That's not normative that parents would lose the faith and grandparents would keep it. But certainly we have that continuity of faith that passes through generations and we do hold each other when, you know, the winds and waves of our times are different than the ones before us. I, I think of my own parents who grew up in the 40s and 50s and were really inundated with a much more Christian culture in our country. Uh, my, uh, I, my brother and I grew up in the 70s and 80s when our country was becoming much less Christian. And uh, so a lot of times those grandparents rooted in a more Christian culture are able to hold across a generation that's 
influenced by a much more secular culture. Some of the values of the past, we have that organic continuity between generations. And then we also see the, the role that grandparents play. And I, I've watched many uh, young married couples struggle when they've moved away for a variety of reasons and are trying to raise their children and have nobody to babysit. Grandparents are these wonderful built-in babysitters that who are able to take care of the little ones. And the grandparents rejoice that they have little babies to hold. And uh, they also rejoice that they can give the babies back to their parents. And the parents rejoice that somebody else can hold the little babies for a period of time. And in the absence of grandparents, it seems to me that things like nannies uh, or other healthcare or, or childcare rather organizations have become much more prolific. But what grandparents can do and helped with when families were living together under one roof, for example, has often been outsourced uh, to uh, semi-professionals, you might say, who uh, don't bring as much love because they just are not as connected to the, uh, to the individual, to the children. So uh, we see that role with grandparents as well. Uh, and then just a, a last word, and I'll let you get in a word edgewise, but uh, Pope Francis has dedicated a number of catechesis to the elderly and has mentioned many times the role of grandparents as the keeper of wisdom, as the roots in, uh, in, in history and in tradition and culture. Uh, the grandparents root us in the long vision. They are able to see across many generations. They're able to see things that have been tried and failed. They're able to hold on to the, the values of old. And young people, on the other hand, bring a certain energy and innovation, which is also important and moves us into a new space. But the fruitful dialogue between the young and the old, between the grandchildren and the grandparents, is necessary for the healthy growth of a culture, which doesn't just sprout a lot of new directions that have no future or no hope, uh, but are rooted in the wisdom of the past and, and the tradition of the past. And so uh, Pope Francis has really made that a keynote of his pontificate to emphasize that conversation between the grandchildren and the grandparents, that they, they really learn to love and to listen to each other and to grow in relationship with each other. And if you think about that from a process, you know, hmm. so to your point of, of grandparents knowing knowledge and learning, my thought is that each of us naturally have thought differently than we did when we were younger. I mean, that's part of growing up, not just the, the maturity that we kind of discussed before about delaying gratification, but we also start to get this better appreciation for thinking for the long run for thinking for things that are beyond just the immediacy of now. Um, you know, I look at my son, who's obviously less than a year old. His entire life is basically devoted for the next four minutes. Um, and longer thinking than that just doesn't exist. And as I look at, you know, society, because a big part of this has been the Pope's talking about how we need families. We need, we need families to become better connected. We need to not outsource as you just said there and paying people to try to replace what our family is because at the end of the day it doesn't work as well yes you can have an individual who has compassion it could be a very good teacher but there's no way that if you think through your own life that every single teacher was as good as your parents in terms of their ability to love and care about you it's just not possible it's a difference between being yours and being a job 
And that's just the doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes it life. You know, you're always going to care more about your own kids than the kids you're paid to take care of. And that's just part of life. So when I look at that and I start to think about, about this type of thing, it really makes sense that we should be called to learning from those who have spent more time on this planet and have seen results of this idea that's getting pushed down the pipeline is something that sounds enticing, but isn't really a good idea in the long run. And where you see a lot of divides about this is, as you said, is is with the religion element. You know, we have people that say, I'm not getting any value out of this because it's telling me stuff I don't want to do when I'm a teenager, but my body's telling me I want to do it, but you're telling me not to. I don't want to listen to something that's telling me not to. And you know, kids have this mentality of simultaneously the future doesn't matter and they will never die, um, which is really contradictory if you think about it for like four seconds. Uh, but it's also the way that we are inherently as a society. And I really think that that's something that as we get older, we we, we think about more. And obviously, I am not at the age of grandparents. I, I'm, I'm at the age of first experiencing what grandparents are through the parents perspective uh, of my perspective and it is remarkable to me about how much things seem different when you look at them through different eyes um because at least in my family i am not the first to bring a grandchild into the world um my younger siblings have already done that so not only did i get to see how my parents were with their kids but how they are with mine and how they are doing something which I think is what we all should do is they treat each kid essentially on their kid, that own kid's terms. You know, they, they don't have a blanket. We're just treating you all this way, but it's, we treat this one that way, this one that way, and this one that way, essentially based upon their needs of the moment. And seeing that it's, it's just something that, that made me think about, obviously I only have one child, so I can't think about how I'd raise a different one until they're there. But it's a thought process about how we shouldn't treat everyone as cookie cutter and how we should treat everyone as individuals. Now, they might be wrong and I'm learning the wrong way, but I get the feeling that that there's a lot of logic and and thought into doing it that way. Let's say. Yeah, I think it's uh beautiful that you get to see your parents become grandparents and some of the shift that takes place in that and the way that they love uh, their various grandchildren is edifying for you. It gives you an expectation that loving individually and seeing each child as his own person, her own person is the, is the ideal. And you can see that lived out from the perspective of your parents' love. So they're teaching you even without saying anything, teaching you simply by the example of how they love. And I know, uh, I, I think with grandparents too, you know, uh, parents get kind of a second chance. Uh, it, it is, a, there's a certain irony of God entrusting, you know, especially now that I'm in my mid forties, thinking of raising a child when I was 20 is, uh, is hard to imagine. Uh, and one friend of mine said, I often tell God, what were you thinking in trusting infants to 20-year-olds? Why did you think that was a good idea? And it is crazy. Like, 
people that you you hardly trust you can't get car insurance but you can have a child you know it's like <laughs> amazing uh what what the lord has done and what's really has been normative throughout history i mean we don't have as many 20 year olds having ch- children now but it certainly has been normative even younger than that uh, especially for the the woman who's often a couple of years younger than the man traditionally speaking or historically speaking in marriage so um but now, you know, grandparents sort of get a second crack at it. It's like, now I know, you know, they're, they're, they're thinking, now I know how children, how this turns out, you know, when you love them this way, well, you see how they grew up and some of these things turn out. And so well, we can love the, uh, the, the babies uh, in a way that we didn't know how to love them as parents. And so I know with my, and, and, you know, sometimes grandparents have worked through some of their own things. And I, I saw that a little bit with my own dad as he became uh, both of my parents. My mother was always very good with children. So it was less striking with her, but uh, my dad worked hard. He worked a lot. He's, you know, he's always been kind of a, a man's man. And uh, to see him with the, my, my brother's children, to see him with the babies and delighting in the children. And uh, it was just very different than the submarine commander that, I got to know, not that he was a hard person at all, but there was just sort of a comfort in his own skin and a comfort with uh, uh, the little ones and just uh, just brought this beautiful quality out of him that uh, I'm not sure my brother and I were able to bring out of him in the same way when he was uh, quite a bit younger as we were growing up. So it's beautiful to, to see how God, God sort of gives the grandparents a second chance uh, to exercise their hard-won wisdom over uh, a generation of raising children and then to exercise that with the little ones. And then as you point out, that's edifying for the parents to see how the grandparents love them. And sometimes they create certain tensions as parents think that, you know, they want to raise their children different than their grandparents and keep the, keep the grandparents away from the children or, you know, try to box them into how they're supposed to do things and, you know, create some of those, uh, can create some of those little tensions as well that uh, are, are part of the, the love that happens that helps us all to grow as we uh, stay in relationship and we work through certain things. The truth is usually in the middle. The grandparents have some wisdom that the parents can benefit from. The parents have some innovation and some insight that the grandparents uh, wouldn't necessarily have had. And and, uh, and and that's how we sort of grow genera- generationally, not just throwing out everything that came before us, but trying to incorporate as much as we can and then also allowing new things to develop and incorporating those in organic ways. And so it's uh, beautiful to see that dynamic unfold in families. And to that point, you know, the, the second chance element of it, it really makes me think about how maybe it's always been this way and I just didn't realize it, but it seems like second chances like are the thing right now that, that that at least in the business world that everyone is pushing your, your initial plan failed so we're the, the word they use is we're pivoting to the the second idea um and on the one hand yes it's nice to be able to have a backup plan and a second thought but on the other hand isn't it better to just go in knowing what you're going to do and do it well um which is what i push for not to say that I do things exactly the same way, but it's still the same emphasis. It's still the same concept um, of going through it. So it's not that you're loving differently or, or 
you're went from some emotion that wasn't love and now trying to apply love. Um, I can't really think of the right verbiage for what, what I'm trying to say there, but where I wanted to go with this was from the marriage perspective that being grandparents, um, and try to pull a pack to the saints that we were discussing here. One of the emphasis you want to talk about was them being married and, there's this mentality now with divorce being so common that I would just pivot to someone else who will be a better fit for my marriage. But as we're kind of discussing here, you change as you go through life. So it is natural that if you find someone who's a perfect fit for you when you're 20, that it will be a little bit different. Um, maybe not necessarily a bad fit, but a different fit than it is as you progress down life. And it strikes me that so many people just want to only live in what is perfect for me right now and disregard what the future of building something together with someone is and having all of the shared experiences and building it the same way together. Um, you know, in my world, I see a lot of people that move a lot. So when, when you're moving all the time, on one hand, it's very it's a traumatic point in some people's lives, especially if they get attached to a house and it's a thing. It's not a person. So the relationship is, is obviously different, but even that can be traumatic. You know, people changing cars can be a big deal for some people. For some people, they don't care at all. And I bring this up because marriage isn't like that where you can just go, okay, this was fun for a while. Now I'm going to go see if it'd be funner with someone else. And if not, I'll come back, but you know, don't count on me. And that seems to be the mentality that marriage is getting pushed upon now. And I think that that's a, a grave problem societally wise um, that has ramifications that I think we're seeing the results of, but we have no idea how big this canyon of problems is. And it's just something that, you know, I wanted to bring it back to, to marriage as, as you mentioned that with our saints. Yeah. Yeah, you're so right. I, I think we're still uh, discovering the ravages of divorce in our culture and what that is doing to, uh, to individuals. I, I can certainly say in uh, working with people, you know, I work with a lot of people in spiritual direction. Of course, that's working with the heart, with the interior life. And so it's related to counseling in that sense. And so I get a glimpse into the inside of a lot of people. And I'll say the some of the hardest things are divorce. I mean, there's a, there's a kind of instability that's created in the heart. There's a difficulty in believing that anybody can make a commitment. Uh, there's there's always some personalization of it that if I had been different, my parents would have stuck together. Um, you know, these are generalizations, but uh, there's it's true in so many cases, and uh, the children are always the ones who suffer. Yeah. And again, there are you know I also know situations where I would advise a uh, hundred a hundred times over that a couple separate. I mean, where a, a woman is in danger from her husband, for example, uh, or where, there, where there's real uh, neglect, abuse, where there are real, there's a real danger to the children, where, you know, there are situations like that. And I'm grateful that the law has allowed for divorce and people aren't just stuck in abusive situations, certainly. Um, now, the children still suffer from that. And I know her parents who do a heroic job trying to overcome that. But 
one parent just can't do the job of two. In some cases, the grandparents are a great help in that, and children are able to express back to that point of the, the ravages of divorce. And, you know, what do you do? There are things that obviously could be worked through. Uh, there are marriages that could have been prevented to begin with because the people weren't really ready to make the commitment that was necessary. Um, there are cases where there just isn't the foundation and faith. I mean, I always say when I do marriages, you know, marriages, it's really a miracle that a man and a woman can live together for the rest of their lives. This is not, this is not obvious from looking at men and women in my perspective. Uh, and, and it's a, it's a little bit of a miracle. And so the grace of the sacrament is really necessary, but then the couple needs to be disposed to receive that grace. And to try and enter into marriage without any religious foundation is also, I think, just fraught with problems and destined for failure. So uh, all of that. And then when to have a society in which it's so normative that people are divorced, just none of the kind of societal pressures, uh, uh, cultural expectations are holding people together. And uh, they're not surrounded by people who will say to them, hey, you know, you got to fight through this. I'll stand with you. I'll help you out. Let's uh, let's work through this together. There's an opportunity for growth, for conversion here, and uh, you just don't have those kinds of, of influences. So all of that really mitigates against uh, stability and commitment, and it uh, creates just so many problems. And then the impact on the children, and then their less uh, their their lower willingness to get married, their difficulty staying married. It really propagates. From one generation to the next, so it's a big problem, and and uh, I'm grateful for you, Joe, and your witness of faithful marriage and your commitment to your beautiful wife and uh, fruitfulness of your marriage with your son, and uh, a lot of those things are, are really a great great witness for us. And the one thing you said there is kind of the back theme or the backbone of, of everything we said. Maybe didn't emphasize it until the end, but. Every study that I've ever seen has has highlighted this too. That stability is what people need. Um, you know, we, we've mentioned before. I use the term just going to autopilot, and and that really is a form of stability. You know, the the thing that you can that when we look at these studies that say what happens to the child during divorce, it, it's the upheaval of the stability and, and the fear that you might never actually walk into solid building again, but it always might be crumbling and Having gone through a number of crumbling buildings where I didn't know if I could like fully walk on the floor, I didn't want to be there. And that's the prism that some people put into their lives due to a lack of stability for a lot of different reasons. Um, and then eventually becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where you just do activities that bring less stability into your life. So um, we, we're going to conclude today's episode on that, but just to think that how we can become more stable within ourselves, more loving of ourselves as a result of that really does transmit to other people around us that whether you realize or not, at least I can count on that guy over there. And it might be something little or something small. Like every time I go to the gas station, they will have orange Gatorade. It might, it's really a really weird starting point, but it could be something for someone. And just to go through there and think about how we can ourselves make our lives a little bit more stable. And as a result of making ourselves more stable, become better pillars 
for other people to lean on. So we thank everyone for listening. We will be with you again here next week, and we look forward to talking with you then.